Gary, this weekend, we lost a uh, civil rights icon and a former colleague of mine, Congressman John Lewis from the great state of Georgia. John Lewis, I remember when I was a little kid looking at the March on Washington, I saw what I thought was another little kid who was given a speech on the mall during the March in Washington. Now, little did I know that at the time I was only about 10 years old, that many years later I would be serving in Congress with that, that gentleman. He was one of six individuals who would be deemed as one of the leaders of the March on Washington. At the time, he was 23 years old. He headed up an organization called SNCC. John Lewis is also remembered as the person who was leading the march over the Pettus Bridge down in Alabama, which turned into Bloody Sunday, in which the police officers literally trampled and clubbed scores of black individuals. There were over 600 that were marching to prevent them from registering to vote. Eventually they came back and they were able to register. Eventually, President Johnson addressed Congress and the voting rights bill was, was adopted. A great achievement for all those involved, being Martin Luther King and A. Philip Randolph, Whitney Young, Roy Wilkins. And yes, John Lewis was one of those individuals as well. I remember my first time meeting John was in a Congressional Black Caucus meeting in which I shared that story with him. I also remember in, in that same meeting when I was addressing the entire caucus made up of about 30 members at the time. And I said that with the exception of John Lewis, my uh, experience with racism is uh, higher than most of the people in the room. Because very few people, I said once again, with the exception of John Lewis, but as a youngster, we were attacked by the Ku Klux Klan, dog killed on our lawn, dead possum placed in our mailbox in which I had to go extract from the mailbox dripping in blood, nightly calls about blowing up our house, FBI in our house, in the woods, tapping our phones, and eventually catching the KKK members. And I said, I don't think anyone else in this room, other than John Lewis, can match that story. So that, that would be my first recollection of John Lewis when I was a young youngster looking at the March on Washington. And then my first encounter of talking to him was at a Congressional Black Caucus meeting, the first one of the uh, session starting in 1991, in January. May God rest his soul, and my prayers go out to his, his family, friends, his staff, and his constituents, as well as the great state of Georgia for, for losing an individual who served them honorably for more than 30 years in Congress and served the nation as an icon civil rights leader.
I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. So you want to run for office. You're back. Glad you are back. Uh, last week, you learned about how to give a stump speech. And uh, hopefully you, you gained a lot from that. And hopefully you also found my joke that I told funny. Not um, Go back and listen to it again. Maybe it's, it'll be funnier this time. But anyhow, today, we're going to talk about, Gary, 10 points that people are looking for when they're looking at you as a possible person they're going to vote for. Now, this category only pertains to when you're going to be a representative, that is the legislative branch of government. So if you're running for, let's say, city council, say on the board of aldermen, like I, like I started out doing, it's important. If you're running for the state senate, where you're representing a small number of people in your community, could be 50,000 or so people, it's important. If you're running for the state Senate, where you're representing maybe 200,000 people, 250,000 people, it's important. And if you're running for Congress, where you're representing about 700, 800,000 people, it's important. And obviously, it's important if you're running for the U.S. Senate. Not important, not as important if you're running for mayor, an executive branch position. It's not as important if you're running for governor. And it's not as important if you're running for president either. But it's important, but not as important. Now, why do I say that? Because in the legislative positions, you are actually representing people. You are being sent to the Board of Aldermen because the 150,000 people aren't going to show up to the Board of Aldermen meetings. Now, we do have in some areas a like a town government where you do have a meeting and the first selectman would come and give a speech and the whole town's invited and they all listen to the spiel of the first selectman and the second selectman. Second selectman usually be of the other party and they will make their decisions there like over a one day, two day type of uh, session. But for the most part, we send people to do that work for us. We send people, we elect people to go to Congress and represent them. And so, when you keep that in mind, these are 10 points that people are looking at for when they're looking at you and listening to you. There's no particular order, but I would say that there's a top tier and there's a bottom tier that I like to emphasize. But how does it start? Well, think about it. When you're getting ready to give that first stump speech or walk into that first hall, be announced as a potential candidate, your parents. It sounds very basic, but it's very important. Your parents, you should look like you want to be a congressman or a state senator or a state rep or a city councilman. So you shouldn't have torn jeans on. You shouldn't have a baseball cap on. You should, you know, this, those are obvious things, but you should look the part. Your parents is the first thing people are going to judge you on. Even before you say a word, even before you say a word, they're going to look at you and see your appearance. It doesn't matter if you're if you're seven four or if you're four four. That's not important. They want to see how clean you are, how neat you are, and how you look attractive. You don't have to be pretty or handsome. 
just not offensive. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but you should be as appealing as you could possibly be. So long hair can be offensive to some people, okay? Uh, a straggly beard could be offensive to people. A full beard may not be. But straggly beard, like you haven't shaven in two or three days, could be offensive to people. So you don't want to lose an easy point. You should score at least an 80 on this little exam that I'm going to give you. And don't and let 10 points go down the tube tubes just because your appearance is not where it should be. Now, real quick, let me add something in real quick. Are you talking about long hair? Are you talking about for men or for women? I'm talking about for either. I'm talking about for either. But more for men, I should say. But, you know, your hair should be attractive. It should not be a distraction. Your your facial appearance should not be a, a, a offensive. You, pretty obvious statement, should not have any body order. <laughs> Whether, and I would put it in both categories. I don't think it's that good to have a woman with a lot of perfume on. I don't think of a guy just coming out of a gymnasium being a good thing either. So either extreme, you don't want to stand out in the area that you should get an easy 10 points on. This is a, this is a hundred point type of session here, 10 points for each category. I'm making that part up. But the bottom line of it is don't lose points on something that is really, really pretty simple. So you're going to have a shirt on that looks that's really ironed well. You're going to have a dress or skirt on that's really doesn't have any wrinkles in it, that doesn't show things that it should not be showing. These, these are kind of basic things, but people have lost points on basic things. So don't fall in that trap. Now, you will not see that as being a problem for anyone running for Congress or anyone running for the U.S. Senate. They already been through those stages and they know what I just said. But when you're running for city council or running for that state Senate position or state rep position, you may just forget about it. You may think you can go out without doing such and such or doing it. No, you can't because people are going to remember. And when that one or two or three people would see you in a way in which you should not look. So you don't want to be in that position. Who knows? They could take a picture too. And all of a sudden you're, you're showing up in the paper looking like you shouldn't be looking. So it's an easy one to get right. So get that one right. So speaking of appearance, Dad, what was your go-to outfit? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, okay. Um, it, it would be um, kind of like a uniform. In, in fact, people said that it was a uniform, so to speak. But I always had a blue shirt on or a striped shirt. Very rarely would I have a white shirt. And one of the reasons for that, Gary, is that I was told by my political handlers that for a black person, this is not racist or anything, for a black person, that's all to do with complexion, it doesn't look good if you get a picture taken with a white shirt on. It just, it just doesn't reflect properly. And with a blue shirt, it comes across a lot better. And I found that to be true. All of my TV commercials that I did, I always had a, a powdered blue shirt on. And it did come across a lot better. And, and when I took pictures with um, George Bush, President Bush, or with, with the Vice President Quayle, or Henry Kissinger, I always had a blue shirt on, light blue shirt on. So um, that would be one. I always had a red tie of some, some kind that would be um, striped or just solid red. Um, and then I always had... Um, either uh, slacks or khakis on, or I would have um, gray pants, and then the old blue blazer, the old blue blazer. And from time to time, a blue suit or a gray suit. 
light, a dark gray suit. And that's basically, I now had several sets of those, but basically that's what I, that, that was, that was essentially what I wore for most of my appearances. And then I would take off my jacket from time to time and I, I wore suspenders. My first campaign for Congress, I wore, I wore suspenders and they were red, white, and blue or blue. And so sometimes I looked like a, like a flag, you know, I had a blue, I had white, I had khaki pants on. It was kind of interesting. But then I, 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 people started to point out, there's the guy with the suspenders. And I was like, who the look? And then I realized it was me. And I said, I, said, I got to stop doing this. So I stopped wearing the suspenders after a while. Yeah, but I was going to ask that. Did you regret me with suspenders on my first race for Congress. Right. I was going to ask that. Did you regret that at all? Yeah, I did. And I stopped it. So I, I got rid of the suspenders rather quickly after it became, uh, people called it being like my so-called trademark. And I, I did not... Uh, Want that to be a so-called trademark, so I, I guess I abandoned that, that look. It's even tougher for women because they, you know, get they, they, uh, you know, they're, it can be a distraction sometimes uh, for for various reasons if they don't have the uniform, and it's a, it's basically that. It says you know the skirt and the blazer and the blouse, um, very much like the the man having the the suit on the the blue suit, the, the gray suit, and the and the blue shirt and red tie or blue tie, it's 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 very very similar. But then again, if if for some reason you step out in something that's really unusual in color or in style, it could hurt you. Now that's for male or female. So uh, especially for a female, if they wore some type of uh, apparel that would would accentuate their 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 figure too much to to be in this distraction for guys or whatever i hate to say it like that but it could uh it could cut both ways because maybe the guys will like it but their wives definitely will not and so it's it's uh you gotta be careful it's it's a it's a situation where it, it it's very important and it's obviously it's the first thing people would see and the first first uh, you know you talk about judging a book by its cover well I won't say people are going to judge you totally by your appearance, but it definitely could put you on a good track or kind of take you off the track, depending on what you have on. And and last but not least, your shoes should be shined because I don't know what it is, but people's eyes definitely go down to your shoes to see whether or not they're shined. And if they're not, it's not a good thing. Now, next would be something that it's also extremely important because as you're standing there, getting introduced, getting ready to speak, we talked about this last week. It's, yes, the content of your speech is very important, but equally as important is your diction. If you slur your words, if you say, uh, 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 too many times, or if you say, you know what I mean, man, or, you know, you know what, I, I hear you. You know, if you say that too many times, you are going to drive your audience absolutely batty, and they're going to just tune you off. They're going to be just tuned off just like that. And I don't care what you're saying, they're not going to hear it. What? So what do you have to do? You have to practice. Yeah, I know I went back to Alan Iverson before, and I said, oh, Alan didn't like practicing. What's this, practice? You know, it's just like, you know, talking about a game, right? You're talking about practice? Well, yes, we're talking about practice, Alan. And if you don't practice speaking and working on your diction, sometimes it's not going to come out right. 
And that one time it doesn't come out right, guess what? You're going to hear that over and over and over and over and over again. Right, Joe Biden? You know, if you don't vote for me and you're black, you ain't really black. So you're going to hear that over and over and over again because it's a stupid thing to say. And you don't play around with the with grammar, you know? I mean, you mean you use ain't it, it's it sounds as though the Biden was kind of pejorative in his remarks. But let's get away from that because we're not here to talk about him today. Let's continue on with your practice of your addiction. How do you do that? Take a book, read out loud. It's what you did in third grade. It's what you did in second grade. Guess what? You got a grade on that. That's how you got a so-called reading grade back then. That's what you need to do. Practice. Practice your addiction. Best way to do so read from some books or read from anywhere, newspaper or whatever, and also practice just talking off the cuff. See if you can just take any topic and talk for three minutes on it without stopping. Expand that to five minutes without stopping. Maybe give yourself two or three little notes and just talk. Tape it, listen to it, and do it again. And again, and again, and again. So that's what it takes, folks. That's what it takes. Now, number three. So far, you got a 20, right? Everyone has a 20. Okay. Next would be your resume. Now, we talked about that, but you really need to make sure that you're selling yourself. Now, everybody did not invent the light bulb. Everybody did not start Google. You won't have certain things on your resume. We're not saying that everyone would have those things on their resume. But believe me, you've done some great things in your past. You've helped people. You've made a difference. Maybe with one person, maybe with two people or whatever. Tell that story. People want to hear that story. And though you may think that it was a little minor type of thing, no, it shows your character. It shows a lot about you, all within your resume. Can millennials like me actually give our resumes out like that? Because ours may not be as long as our opponents. No, that's true, Gary. When you're in your early 20s, uh, your story is not as long as a person who's in their 30s or 40s. But you still have a story. You still have a story. And looking back, I always wanted people to know my faith in God and how God had played such a tremendous role in my life in, in general. I came from very humble beginnings. I talk about my my parents and how my father could barely read or write. My mother did have a high school degree, but they had six children and they they raised them all. They all got college degrees. In fact, three of my sisters have doctorate degrees and brother's a retired colonel and other brother's a school teacher. So I talked about that because how do you come from being the great grandson of a slave, in the case of my parents, a grandson and granddaughter of a slave, and and rise like that. And, and it's because of the power of God. So that was always stressed in my story, because that, that was my story. And I also talked about the fact that hard work is a key. And often I mentioned my first job. <laughs> I talked about <laughs> my first job. I remember getting interviewed by, by a newspaper after I got elected to Congress and they said, who was your first boss? And I kind of laughed and I said, and the guy said, well, why, why can't you name the, your first boss? And I said, hey, in my first job, everybody was my boss. 
I cleaned toilets at Waterbury Hospital. I mopped the floors at Waterbury Hospital. I did the pots and pans at Waterbury Hospital, and I dreaded oatmeal day. I dreaded egg day. Um, hard work. I did that when I was 16 years old. And, and everyone can relate to, uh, to, I think, the power of God. I think everyone can relate to us, to the fact that I was blessed to have a two-parent household and hardworking parents. And everyone could appreciate the fact that uh, I didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth. I, I worked my way up, took the first possible job I could get. My mother, your grandmother, Gary, worked at Waterbury Hospital. So I had a good reference and <laughs> went there and, and I was happy to have that job. I was happy to have it. I knew I wouldn't have it for the next 30 years, but it, it definitely taught me a great deal about uh, society, about people, about um, the value of work. And so that's part of my story. And people would be mesmerized by that. And, and I would tell them that I knew that being in a district that was overwhelmingly white, that it would be a challenge. But I also knew that there are a lot of good white people out there and, and people would like to judge people based on their abilities and their vision, et cetera. And I would say, you know, look at me. I was attacked by the Ku Klux Klan. That, could not, that should have left a serious scar, a permanent scar, as far as what I would, how I would feel about white people. But just to the contrary, because of my mother, your grandmother, Gary, it just, she turned it all around and made it very clear to me that there are good people who are white, there are good people who are black, there are good people who are brown, there are good people who are yellow, there are good people of every color, and there are bad people of every color. And once you put things into those perspectives, you move forward. So everybody has a story. You may be surprised what your story would mean to other people when they hear it, but you have a story. And that is what people would like to hear Following three terms on the city council and three terms in Congress, former Congressman Gary Franks' consulting firm has helped scores of companies, large Fortune 500 firms, small businesses, and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University, UVA, and Hampton University will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. Next would be something that you could say some people have it, some people don't. Some people call it charisma or some likability, personality. People like to be able to relate to people, but bottom line, just be yourself. And believe me, and I'm going to say in most instances, there's some people who, when they're themselves, are really pretty boring. But still, even if you are rather boring, it's kind of chic to be boring. You know, sometimes they say, hey, this is a really boring politician. I like him. You know, <laughs> so, okay. So you'll be surprised. Just be yourself. And you, you may have to practice being yourself, but just be yourself. And don't try to be someone else. Don't try to sound like someone else, like the mayor of, uh, the mayor of uh, South Bend. Just, you know, everyone said he was trying to be uh, like, like Barack Obama. Don't, don't try to be like somebody else. Just be yourself. And believe me, people can, can see that. People can see and appreciate who you are. And also people can see if you're trying to copy somebody too. So don't do not do that. Just let your personality out and enjoy it. And when you're enjoying what you're doing, whether you're talking to people or 
talking about certain issues or your resume or whatever, people can see it. And people like people who seem, seem to like themselves and people who really just enjoy life. You have a way of liking people like that. You just don't like people who are always, oh, well, you know, this is really bad. This is all good. You can kind of get turned off by people who are always complaining or bitter or whatever. Not very enjoyable people to be around. So why would you want to vote for them? So, that's to, so keep that in mind. The next one would be, I know we talked about the speech you have to give, but what I forgot to tell you folks is that after you give that wonderful speech, guess what? You're going to see a few hands go up in the crowd. Yes, the dreaded questions. You're going to get questions. And I, the first time that happens, it's, it's something to really behold. You're finished your speech, you're ready to get off the stage, and all of a sudden you see this one hand go up in the air. You try to ignore it, but then another hand goes up in the air. And then the person who introduced you to, to the crowd, they're looking at you, and they're looking at the people with their hands up, and they're pointing at the people with their hands up, telling you, you got to take the question. You may not want to, but you got to. You can look at your watch. Not a good thing. George Bush proved that. But you're there for a certain period of time, so you figure, okay, I'll just take one. But you can't say you'll just take one because then you're pissed off with other people. So you got to just go with the flow, and you got to take some questions. So be knowledgeable about your topic. Now, you, you should know about the issues that are confronting you as a potential alderman, the issues that are confronting you as a potential state senator or state representative. And you should know the issues facing you as a congressman or a United States senator. If you don't, you get this one wrong, yeah, it could hurt. It could really hurt. But you, here's the thing. You can never get this wrong. Just tell people, I like the question. I'm going to look into it, and I'll get back to you. Ah, you're out. You're free. Get a card. You get a pass. Not like Joe Biden's mulligans. You didn't mislead people or say things that you wish you hadn't said. That's what you know, Mr. Biden does frequently. So everyone will give you a pass if you don't answer a question as long as you're honest with them and say, I haven't looked into that. That's something that uh, I will definitely uh, find out more about and get back to you. Could I get your name? Could a little later on, could I get your name and contact information? Everyone will love it. Everyone will love it. So it's hard to get questions wrong as long as you're honest. And if you don't know the answer, you just don't know the answer. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? I mean, you can't know, can't bomb out on every question. And if you should have an opinion about things if it's, if it's a question that's asking you how do you feel about something. So be prepared for that because you can't say, I don't have any feeling. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. Get yourself. So don't say that. So make sure you, you do have a general feel for certain certain issues. But, you know, if they should ask you about uh, what happened with the uh, Exxon Valdez situation in, the, in Alaska when the oil spill occurred, yeah, you're not supposed to know that. So don't worry about it. So those five are really important. Those five are extremely important. Your parents your resume, your speech, and I'm talking about your diction and your ability to keep a sentence going, have sentences turn into paragraphs. No, I'm not going to make any comments about Joe Biden on that. I know you're waiting for it, but I'm not. So, But you have to be able to do that. And then your personality must come out. And then, of course, you have to be knowledgeable of the issues that would be germane to your race.
are you aware of the questions that are going to be asked in a lot of settings or is it usually something that you do off the cuff? Well, you're hoping that there are questions for clarification of what you already said. <laughs> That's what you're hoping for. You may get a question like, oh, so when you went to so-and-so school, I made you do so-and-so, you know, that type of thing. That's what you're hoping for. But uh, no, you don't know. You have no idea. And what question you're going to get, some politicians, devious ones, uh, ones that you wouldn't want to vote for, uh, may put a plant in the audience and have them answer questions. But I, I, you know, most people don't do that. I can't, I, in fact, I don't know of anyone. Well, I'm sure they did, but we didn't do anything like that. So no, you don't know. You, you don't know what kind of questions you're going to get. But keep in mind that it's best to commend the person for asking a great question and, and then just let the person know that you're going to look into it and, and you'll get back to them with an answer. It's not good to say, I don't know. So you just say it's a great question. I'm, I'm going to look into it, do a little more research on it, and I, I will get back to you with, with my, how I feel about that issue. And how do you deal with mean or aggressive questions? Well, usually uh, you're going to have the rest of the audience on your side. Hopefully you gave that great joke and you put everyone in the right mood. And so when you have someone who is definitely uh, not a supporter of yours, and, and, and it could be a plant from the other side, sometimes candidates make people aware of the fact that, haven't I seen, don't, don't you work for, you know, and you can make a light of it. Humor is always great when you get people who are trying to act like a-holes. But for the most part, there's a certain degree of respect and decorum that would be present. I know today things are a lot different than when I was running for office or in office back in the 80s and 90s, as far as that decorum thing. But still, it's, it's a situation where um, the audience would be on your side, and if a person has something that is too personal or inappropriate, you usually hear a little groan, some groans in the, in the crowd. And if you don't, you look at the crowd like, what's the hell? You look at them and say, you hear that question? And, and someone would say, yeah, that's inappropriate. You know, so you, you usually get defended by the people there. But uh, you have to realize that if that does not happen, you know, you just have to shut them down politely, politely. And once again, you can always say to that person, you know, your questions, uh, I won't call it interesting. You must have gotten it from your my opponent. Tell them that, you know, good question. But guess what? He didn't get an answer and you're not getting one either. And then go to the next question. Don't forget to subscribe.